Namaskar and welcome to Weekly Global Insights, episode 317. A shout out to our viewers to like this program so it can reach its maximum potential. Today is March 5th, Saturday, and here is what is happening around the world. Sridharji, before we start into the program, welcome to P Guru's channel, sir, and joy and pleasure to have you as a co-host. Namaskar, uh, good evening, good morning, uh, good afternoon, wherever you are, and wonderful to be uh, speaking on uh, this uh, Saturday uh, morning in India and Saturday late evening in the United States. And, you know, we have not been looking at the COVID numbers and we are going to start with COVID because the COVID is still around. The world thanks Putin for taking COVID off the top of the news. <laughs> Global cases cross 445 million and deaths are at 6 million plus and 61 million plus active cases. And U.S. leads the world with 25 million and South Korea surprises the world with almost 3 million active cases. And Germany is at 3.556 million. Russia has 21.157 million active and Ukraine at 646,099. Overall, COVID is still around. And I think uh, that continues to be uh, causing a fair amount of concern. One thing I want to ask you, Sridharji, how is it that in U.S. it is so high? Uh, sorry, one correction. I said, that, you know, it's late. Uh, a good evening or early good morning in the United States uh, and good morning in Saturday in uh, Asia. Uh, how is it, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, in the United States? I think that in the United States, it's a vast population. It's not rules-based. It's an asymmetric uh, system of uh, mandates, you know, some people do, some people don't. Uh, also, it just points out that, uh, you know, when you look at the Europe, you know, the active cases relative to population, and then when you look at the active cases relative to population in the United States, <coughs> the number has <coughs> some semblance of similarities, reflecting that the general immunity to these types of viruses uh, is very low in, you know, in the Western part of the world. I think that's the conclusion that we can draw. Very clearly, I can say from in East Coast in New York, we are very susceptible and vulnerable uh, to the flu season. Notwithstanding, we take vaccines, we constantly are affected with, uh, with flu. And, and Russia-Ukraine development, human catastrophe continues in Ukraine as almost 1 million refugees are moving to adjacent European countries. UNHCR expects this number to climb to 4 million. 39 member states submit to the ICC to commence criminal investigation and genocide allegations against Russia. Sridharji, I just read moments before we came online that people are fleeing Russia for the nearest border because Putin is supposed to address the people today and they think he is going to declare martial law, sir. Well, I think uh, you have hit the nail on the head. Uh, we have received a lot of flack in uh, P. Gurus uh, for uh, being uh, critical of uh, Russia and uh, most of the issues, uh, you know, pointing to West in terms of why the situation is. But everybody forgets Russia is not, a, you know, a flourishing open democracy. Uh, they have shut down media outlets. Uh, they have suppressed media, their own media. This is. Uh, they have banned, uh, you know, news outlets from publishing any news which is adversarial in terms of Russian actions. Coming close on those heels is what you are uh, just reporting. 
which is namely that he's going to address and people are fleeing. People have been fleeing Russia for almost to my, you know, four, five, six decades. When you talk to an average a Russian who lives extremely well educated, very similar to uh, the Eastern kind of a culture and mindset, you will talk about, you will begin to get the realities of what is the on ground situation in Russia. It is not as though, you know, people are, you know, uh, lining up uh, in a Russian embassy to migrate to Russia. They're going there for other things, but where is the lines going up to? The most criticized country, United States. That's where people are lining up to come to. Uh, and it has the highest volume of uh, migration. There's some data that I also saw. The number of students studying in United States, especially from some of the Asian countries, is an astronomical number. So no surprise, sir. I think the people of Russia feel that they have no voice. They do not, by large numbers, support the actions of the government. And they feel oppressed. And they feel the economic sanctions, more than anything else, is going to have a significant impact on their lives. And Russian forces seized Europe's largest nuclear plant in Ukraine and fire at the plant has, the plant has been extinguished and the radiation levels checked are in, uh, they are okay. Now, this was a big, big fear that uh, accidentally a bomb may have hit the nuclear uh, plant itself, but looks like it just hit the admin building, Sridharji. It did. It did uh, hit the a training center within the facility. Uh, there's a lot of uh, media which said that, you know, there's a false news. It's not a false news. It didn't happen in a uh, training center in a forest. It didn't happen in a training center uh, in a government building. It happened within a nuclear plant and with the potential for the fire to spread to any of those six reactors, uh, of which I think one is active. Also, some reports have come out. You have to, uh, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, from the Ukraine uh, engineers who are managing and maintaining the site, that there is some attempt is going on to actually mine the site and use that uh, as a mechanism of threat. But we'll see what happens. But the world IAEA reached out, International Atomic Energy Agency, United States spoke, and I think the Europeans spoke as well, but sending some kind of tremors, but there is no radiation reported. The fire has also been put out. As the world unites to condemn Russian actions in Ukraine in a 141 to 5 vote, China and India abstain from voting. The G7 condemns Russian attacks and urges accountability for war crimes. German's chancellor rules out NATO membership for Ukraine. NATO also rules out no-fly zone. So this was one of the things that uh, you know was being thought of yesterday that uh, the for that NATO might implement or enforce a no-fly zone. So with that gone, then Russian planes can freely fly over uh, Ukrainian sky, Sridharji? Well, the fear is that uh, one of the things that has ast uh, astounded the military analysis as to why these uh, planes are not flying, uh, there are two or three reasons that are being attributed. One is the Ukrainians have a very smart drone system, so they are apprehensive whether they need to use the planes as yet. I think that's one. The second is the is the number of uh, anti uh, what do you call uh, the uh, anti uh, anti uh, air batteries that they've been supplied with, which they have been successfully using against some of the planes and the helicopters making their way. So they're using this large, huge ground convoys as a mechanism, and they have been also using this uh, uh, you know remote uh, you know cruise missiles and you know tomahawk type missiles. 
uh, to uh, strategically and surgically target the buildings and infrastructure within uh, within Ukraine. And Georgia, Moldova, and Ukraine formally apply for EU membership. Is this a little too late, sir? Uh, well, for you know, Ukraine? I think it is. Uh, well, it is too late, uh, and I think they may consider. Um, I'm just not sure as yet, um, you know, what exactly is. Nobody is able to understand what is the end game that Putin has in mind. None of his allies, nor none of his close, probably some of his close confidants do. But as in an anticipated move, the small states are saying, OK, we got to get our act together. Let's get behind. And they're making their application. Uh, by the way, even uh, Ukraine has applied, but I think it's unlikely to be taken up. And Vladimir Putin claims he is fighting neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin is committed to seizing all of Ukraine, claims French ministry official. French president claims the worst is yet to come. And Putin also claims Russian and Ukrainians are one people and one nation. And Russia wants foreign volunteers as the numbers grow to fight the Russians. Uh, I think this is Ukraine. I'm sorry. Uh, Sridharji, uh, Putin still considers that Ukraine is part of Russia. I mean, history has some off and on. Overall, these boundaries have been there for a while now. And whatever be the justification right now, where do you think this is headed, sir? He has occupied one town so far, on one port town completely. And no other place has Ukraine said that it is under the occupation of Russia. And it's going on. The 40-mile convoy is kind of stopped. They are laying siege to the two big cities, the business center as well as the headquarter, uh, the capital city. What is your take, sir? Why? How do you think this is going to stop? Yes, I think that the point that you made first to clarify, uh, yes, it is the foreign legions who are fighting, who have come in to help the Ukrainians, you know, people from Poland, people from Georgia, uh, people from even United Kingdom, some of which we have reported. And there's more than 14, 15 countries which are supplying aid and arms, uh, notably United States, Germany uh, and UK, uh, you know, Stinger missiles, as well as these are uh, uh, anti-tank batteries, uh, it's anti-tank missiles, etc. So I think where is it? Uh, so there's clearly uh, both machinery and men uh, and equipment that is being provided for the Ukrainians to fight. So to respond to your question, um, where is this heading? Very clear. The eastern provinces will break away. They will become part of Russia, whatever Donbass. way this Donbass. Yes, the Donbass. Yeah, Donetsk and Luhansk regions will become part of Russia. Okay, well, they will, though they say right now, uh, independent uh, regions uh, which are recognized by Russia, they will become. I think right, right we have shown this mar uh, map a couple of days ago, right up in the northeast corner, uh, not too far from Kiev, that specific region will also become, I believe, part of, uh, you know, Russia. Mariupol and uh, and Sevastopol, right down, you know, around the Crimea, I have a feeling that will also become uh, part of uh, Russia as part of the negotiations when everything settles down. So you will probably find what you call, which uh, I think our honorable, uh, you know, Indian honorable minister for state, you know, ex-minister for state mentioned. Uh, so there is the uh, Russian Orthodox uh, uh, Christians, which are in the eastern side. Then you have the central, south, and north. Uh, on the western side, you have the uh, so the, the 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 Catholic side. 
I think that segment will probably stay independent in some kind of a truce that will be worked out. I think the nuclear plants uh, remains to be seen what they will do. <laughs> Uh, as far as the nuclear uh, missiles are concerned, that they've already been uh, dismantled in Ukraine. So there will be some settlement. I feel Germans will broker uh, a settlement in the interest. And I think that also Vladimir requires a graceful exit. He is not going to be in a position to occupy a nation which is not willing to be occupied. So yeah, nor he wants to risk a civil war, nor he wants to have a blanket ban imposed on himself. Uh, remember, still the energy sanctions have not begun to take place. Once that begins to happen, along with the food, blo food blockade that is happening, there's real problem uh, that he has to face in the country. Uh, viewers, for several hours today, the Yamal West Germany line was stopped. Uh, this is natural gas line. And there is a separate uh, short clip that I have put on channel two. And we'll put a link to that in our show more section here. If you want to know more about that, because Sridharji mentioned, I thought I should mention that too. You can take a look at what is happening there, what were the reasons and so on and so forth. It is believed to be back up now, but it was down for several hours. And now let's take a look at U.S. news. Manchin, Senator Manchin leads a bipartisan bill to ban import of Russian oil. Manchin also objects to new greenhouse gas and environmental impact policies on natural gas. Sridharji, let us put it straight. Manchin is sitting in on a on a state that has a lot of coal reserves, right? Yep, he has. He has a lot of coal reserves. Plus, he's also, uh, you know, there's a conduit into uh, the um, the gas. Um, so, and he also supports uh, the energy bill. You know, drilling uh, may not be Keystone Pipe, but he, you know, he clearly is supportive of the broader energy bill, fighting the. Uh, uh, EPA and uh, within his caucus or within the uh, Democratic Party. So clearly, I think he has both vested interest from his political constituency, uh, but as well as, uh, you know, he seems to be aligned with the principle that United States must not be reliant on nations that are hostile to United States, such as, for example, Russia. Of course, the Russians will argue that United States is hostile to Russia, which is the case. So therefore, I think it makes a plausible sense. The question comes up, which is namely, why is it uh, Biden is hesitant to impose those sanctions? Uh, the small pockets of the remote, uh, you know, uh, the up northern regions uh, and even to west, uh, which is serviced by this imported gas from imported oil from Russia, there is no mechanism as yet to overnight lift unless and unless and until otherwise you have that capacity filled. Uh, remember, we put up a chart which is roughly close, close to 8% or just less than 8% of the oil is imported from Russia. Vast part of it comes from Mexico and Canada, 19% from other parts of the world. Well, this could all be avoided if uh, United States uh, augments its resources. So I don't think you're going to see uh, the oil import uh, coming in. Also, he has to cater to his progressive lobby. Uh, which means that, you know, this car, you know, green gas effects and environmental protection and uh, climate accord, all those things come into the political equation, which is the core plank of the Democratic Party. So, I, I mean, Manchin sat actually on the Republican side in the State of the Union. It remains to be seen what happens in the mid midterm elections and also what happens in, in the days to come uh, to address these two issues that you are alluding to.
And a senior U.S. military official claims Russia launched 480 missiles in Ukraine. U.S. officials also claim that Ukraine war would not have been possible without Chinese tacit approval. More on this in a short while. Sridharji, now U.S. is saying the 480 missiles were launched. Where do you think these were launched at, sir? Were they at cities or were they on uh, some specific locations? Like, I think they, they blew out the gas storage place near the main railway station in Kiev, if I remember correctly, sir. See, then, uh, this is the fog of war. A lot of civil infrastructure has been taken out. A lot of military infrastructure has been taken out, ammunition depots. There's a lot of uh, gas uh, fuel depots have been taken out. Uh, there's probably some of the military, strategic military defense buildings have been taken out. Uh, some of the U uh, Ukrainian planes have been taken out. Still, the U Ukrainian Air Force uh, is still active. There are still uh, planes. But considerable amount of this uh, has been targeted. Now, the question is how much of it has had a positive impact in terms of uh, um, the, the missiles dropped to the targets uh, you know, being neutralized versus uh, how much of it got wasted. Again, we don't know the data, but some count is being projected by the U.S. defense officials, and they have provided this number to be 480. But still, there is, you know, the Ukrainian side claims one set of data. The Russians claim the other set of data. It remains a mystery as to what exactly is the, is the, uh, uh, the casualties of the war and the data. And U.S. Navy recovers fighter jet that crashed into South China Sea. This is this has been a it's been a while since this happened, sir. Finally, I'm glad to note that I think this was an F-16 or an F-35. F-35 plane which took off in that run from uh, and it uh, you know there were two accidents. We reported this again in Global Insights, and uh, the the second one of them collapsed. Uh, you know went under. Uh, so search and there was a fear that the Chinese could access this, but it looks like the U.S. Navy has uh, successfully. Uh, been able to retrieve that plane. Um, and, you know, that's fairly uh, a very uh, a strategic news in those uh, very turbulent South China waters. And Mike Pompeo urges Washington to recognize Taiwan as a sovereign nation. Former Japanese PM, I think it is Shinzo Abe, also urges United States to shed strategic ambiguity on Taiwan and assert strategic clarity. Wow. <laughs> that sounds very Abish. <laughs> yes, Abe has come out. Uh, the two people who from the uh, yester years who have been very strong proponents of supporting Taiwan and Japan uh, and who have been very strong proponents of, you know, open and free Indo-Pacific, East China Sea and Taiwan Strait have been relentless in terms of their pursuit and mission and objectives. So Mike Pompeo, who is making a trip, uh, will be, I think, probably here in, uh, probably in Taiwan till uh, this weekend and leaving, heading back, has made a public statement. It is important, given the context of the, the Ukraine war and some tacit support, it is appeared uh, between China and United States, China and Russia, that it's time that Taiwan is now declared as a sovereign nation and the due uh, protection is granted to Taiwan. Abe has come out and said, because if you recall, uh, when Mr. Um, uh, Ram Emanuel took over uh, as the ambassador, 
and when also the uh, Anthony Blinken and uh, the new uh, Asia czar from Democratic uh, administration took over, uh, there was this discussion around whether the strategic ambiguity will be uh, will be allowed. You know, security on one side, deterrence on one side, and then at the same time not giving it the 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 necessary sovereign rights uh, is the policy is the strategic ambiguity. So both. Uh, Mike Pompeo, as well as Shinzo Abe, saying it's time you don't create a Ukraine situation in uh, in Taiwan, which is of significant strategic consequences to the region. By the way, also Abe uh, has made a statement that Japan must reconsider, reconsider, and have nukes as a deterrence within mainland Japan. If that happens, it's a very, very big strategic shift from World War II. And Wisconsin Special Counsel alleges massive misconduct in 2020 elections. Sridharji, this is not going away. And yeah. uh, viewers, we are going to start selling this book in United States very, very shortly. The website is ready. It's 3ir.com. And it's going to be available there. I have the copies ready to go. I'm just waiting to uh, you know, take care of some e-commerce backend stuff. And then I'll be putting it out. It has a very aggressive price. I'd like every one of you who are in the United States to read this book and please make a note, uh, write a review for us on Amazon. And I really, really thank you for that. But Sridharji, your, uh, you know, your thoughts on this. This is oh, not going that, away. Uh, so I want to propose, uh, Sriji, if anybody buys uh, one book, which I will pay and they will get uh, one book free. So therefore, they have to pay for one book and then I'll give, I'll match it with one book. So that's an offer available. So please, uh, you know, uh, for all the great work that Sri IRG has done, that book must be read. Whether you agree with it, disagree with it, that's a different matter. At least read it to get a perspective. Uh, and I think that's my uh, two cents on the book, as well as the election continues. I think the Wisconsin, uh, you know, the independent uh, you, you know, investigations reveal, uh, you know, mass kind of uh, skimming in the hospitals, uh, you know, vote interceptions and, you know, verification, you know, etc. So they're not calling it <coughs> yeah, fraud. They're calling it as, you know, a very technical term in terms of uh, the conduct of the elections, <coughs> especially uh, in the Wisconsin. If you go around, you'll find something similar probably. In Arizona, you will find something similar in Georgia. You will find something similar uh, in parts of Texas. You may find something in Wisconsin. You may find something in Michigan. So this uh, this whole concept of, you know, we talked about COVID. Suddenly, you know, Vladimir comes in. There's no mandates. There's no masks. There's no mandatory vaccinations. There is no issues around. You know, the world some, somehow. Oh, by the way, you also have 2.1 million Russians. Many of them, we don't know whether they're wearing masks or not wearing masks when they go into the battlefield. There's also about 650,000 Ukrainians. We don't know whether they're wearing masks or not masks. So therefore, what has happened? Unfortunately, Vladimir has just made Dr. Fauci less important in the world. And uh, this whole thing that is going on on the election stuff as a result, uh, you know, this was the pretext, which is namely that there was COVID and they elect new procedures needed to be in place in an emergency manner. And, uh, and we saw a lot of issues around 2020 elections. Of course, the Democratic Party people will continue to say this is all airy fairy stuff, which P. Gurus is trying to push. 
but that's the data that is available. Also, please read the book and also please read what Mr. Trump says, just as what uh, you are, what Mr. Biden says. And so remember that uh, viewers, it's two for one deal. Uh, every book that you purchase on 3ir.com, we will match you with another book. We'll ship you two books. Thank you very much, Sridharji, for your generosity. Let's take a look at Asian news now. Japan imposes more sanctions on Russia as Kishida plans to accept more Ukraine refugees. Suspected Russian helicopters enter Japan's airspace in the northern sector. This, is this saber-rattling or do we need to read more into it, Sridharji? No, saber-rattling is going on. I think Japan is imposing more and more sanctions uh, on Russia. Uh, they have enhanced the sanctions. Uh, they are completely implementing the SWIFT sanctions. They are further implementing any types of credit facilities that Japan has. They will be implementing the restrictions on the Central Bank of Russia uh, in terms of the sanctions, uh, uh, cooperating with the G7 efforts. Uh, oh, by the way, we are just on the same topic. Uh, remember we said, where is Janet Ellen? Oh, Madam Ellen is back. Uh, probably she heard us. And uh, so Ellen is back and she's making the statement. Uh, we will ensure that there is no gaps in any of the stuff that is done or uh, any, any, any um, what you call uh, uh, sanctions that is imposed is duly implemented with no gaps. This is around SWIFT and this is around central bank uh, in a coordinated manner. This is uh, Madam uh, Dr. Ellen's statement. So Japan is uh, revving it up. And they also have uh, come forward and said they would take additional refugees, which is, again, a big moment from a Japan point of view. And viewers, uh, the best is yet to come because we are holding back on some big revealing news. Uh, just hang on. Quad verbs to stop Ukraine-type conflict in Indo-Pacific and speaks with Indian Prime Minister to condemn Russian actions. And Indian Prime Minister urges restraint and urges nations to pursue diplomacy. He urges Quad to focus on its core objectives in Indo-Pacific. So from what I read here, Sridharji, he has neither said yes nor no. No, he has not said yes or no, but in a subtle manner, he has told Quad, let us focus on Quad objectives. Uh, let us not discuss Ukraine. Uh, we all know that Indian Prime Minister uh, has spoken with Vladimir Putin. He has refused. Uh, both in the, as in his current, in India's current role as one of the uh, 10 non-permanent members, as well as in the UN Security Council, uh, they have abstained. Um, and it's very fascinating the countries that have abstained, uh, though there is a theory that is being, uh, you know, propagated uh, by many, which is to say the Eastern nations or Asian nations have uh, no interest in a Europe-centric war. If it has no, you, uh, no interest in Europe-centric war, how come a vast part of uh, the ASEAN, Japan, Korea, Oceanic countries have all abstained or, sorry, have all voted in favor of the resolution and implemented sanctions? Is this an Eastern culture? I think so. It's an Eastern culture. Of course, you may say Australia, Oceanic countries are exception. Well, Japan, Korea, Thailand, Singapore, etc. Yes, Philippines too. Vietnam may be an outlier. We are, Vietnam abstained as well, one of the few countries. By the way, so there is a considerable amount of Asian support, which is for not 
the conduct of the war and not the behavior of Russia in its current format. Sridharji, to add to your data, Nepal and Bhutan also voted with the West. Indeed, they're the neighbors. Uh, so yes. another two, uh, another two uh, Eastern culture nations. Nepal is Hindu, uh, Bhutan is Buddhist. So what did they do? They said we don't agree with Russian actions. Uh, we don't support Russian actions. So we are voting with uh, with the uh, vast majority who are condemning the actions of Russia. Another country, which is also India's neighbor, which voted is Maldives, another small nation, which said we are in favor of this resolution. We are not abstaining. We are voting against. We are. So there's some message coming to the world, however much the media wants to ring a color in terms of not looking at the data. And Ukraine crisis throws China's top seven leaders into disarray. China-backed AIIB freezes lending to Russia and Belarus and all transactions. And China urges all parties to ensure nuclear plant safety. And China changed supply chain strategy with Russia three months ahead of the Russian invasion, asserting claims that it had prior knowledge. So this is a cat out of the bag. China knew three months before that the invasion was going to happen right after the Olympics. Indeed. So there is two important uh, data points. Okay, we'll reveal the third. The two important data points. The first data point is that they had prior intelligence. This is what, if you recall, the US officials had claimed, and that's one. The second data point, they also were aware, so they began to tweak the supply chain. What is the tweak of the supply chain? There is going to be transportation affected, so pursue alternate routes. There is going to be supply shortages. There's going to be price increases. Uh, and so therefore, augment your capacity and get yourself prepared. Uh, don't do anything during Olympics because it will affect the Olympics. So do after the Olympics. Lo and behold, another important uh, you know, data point is when United States handed over the intelligence to, Russia, to the Chinese to persuade Russia from not going ahead with its plans, China politely handed over that intelligence to Russia. So now to go back to your question, why the planes are not in air? Why there is a slow movement of forces? So probably Mr. Vladimir is retweaking his plans, knowing that the West is aware of the plans that he had in mind, which the United States and the Western intelligence correctly predicted Unfortunately, they gave it to China and the Chinese gave it to the Russians. So therefore, he's not going to implement the plan, the plan that West is aware and that he got to got wind of to the Chinese. So there is going to be recalibration, why planes are not there, why there's a slow movement of troops, why there is a slow attack on the installations, what exactly is his game plan. Probably he's retooling all of those things and which is why the French president, Emmanuel Macron, less than 24 hours ago, after he spoke with Putin, he made this assertion, this man is out of control, probably the worst is yet to come. So it's very interesting and fascinating. And the point, the first point that you made, there seems to have been a discussion with this, what you call as the elder seven, who control, who manage the Chinese, uh, you know, central political uh, CPP, Central Parliamentary Party, and that particular committee, there seems to be some dissent 
amongst them, which usually is not the case, that they are not in support of the Russian war and which G was not uh, in favor of this dissent. He wanted a unanimous consent from all the seven members, but that is also now coming out, raising questions as to what exactly they knew and how much they knew, uh, but clearly they knew well ahead of time what's happening, sir. And in India news, India calls for diplomacy and dialogue in Ukraine. Russian buses to the rescue of Indian students. This is interesting, sir. Where did these buses come from? Well, he has, uh, Vladimir has agreed that if required, he will send buses into, uh, into Ukraine and ferry the Indian students out, probably in the areas that he controls. Uh, probably safe corridors are being, uh, you know, th uh, asked for. Uh, to both people, uh, refugees, as well as for uh, treating the sick. And that's one of the negotiations that was being held between. There were two negotiations that has uh, that took place between the uh, the Ukrainian delegation and the Russian delegation in Belarus. Uh, and one of the topics that was discussed was the safe corridor. So probably uh, the thought process is the safe corridor being used because there's a lot of uh, hue and cry around. Uh, you know, a lot of Indian students stranded in uh, in uh, in Ukraine. So one point I also want to make: we probably are the, one of the first people uh, to uh, to probably assert this point. Look at the BRICS, B R I C S: Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Look at the voting pattern of the BRICS: South Africa abstained, India abstained, China abstained. Russia voted against. Brazil reluctantly voted with the West, but Bolsonaro made a statement that he, though he reluctantly voted with the resolution, is absolutely dissatisfied with the resolution and he called it discriminatory. So is there a subtle attempt that is going on to, to, to resume BRICS? And is this part of the broad negotiations or broad discussions that seems to have taken place between China and Russia and between Russia and India? Time will only tell because when you look at the voting patterns, it seems to reflect some form of alignment on this much, much talked about BRICS, which has really fallen out. It's also important, the, uh, which we'll cover in the market, Russia is going to be taken out on the emerging stock, uh, emerging market index. If it is, then it has consequences to the BRICS module. And uh, Sridharji, you want to give us a quick update on what could happen to Iran in the next 24 to 48 hours? It's very interesting that uh, as far as the Iran is concerned, that they are now asserting that they have the support, uh, notwithstanding uh, this war that is being executed by uh, Russia, though Putin doesn't call it as a war, um, that uh, there will be a decision and uh, there will be a deal, uh, claims Iran, which to some extent is being endorsed unofficially by one of the, uh, the, the European diplomats uh, who is actively engaged. So it begs the question as to what are the parallel kind of discussions that are going on uh, in this geopolitical uh, fast-changing landscape and if there is an Iran deal in the next 48 hours, and if it really uh, the case, it happens to be the case, we really uh, have got a very different world as we come out of the Ukraine crisis. And in market news, Silicon Valley pulls most of its products from Russia. 
Global exodus continues from Russia in the corporate sector. The S&P and Dow Jones are stripping Russian stocks from their indices, stripping the country of emerging market status. And the WTI Brent surges to $118 a barrel and crude to $115 with sanctions biting a potentially disrupting Russian flow. And wheat surges from $758 a bushel in January 3rd, I beg your pardon, on January 3rd to $1,209 per bushel now. And 10-year yields are falling to 1.738%. Sridharji, the market is now going to start falling, I think. Uh, even to a dummy like me, it seems like there is going to be fairly large repercussions. See, the next quarter numbers on all these Western companies, like US-based companies, it's not, it's not going to be so rosy, isn't it? Well, the uh, earnings, there's going to be earning pressure. Uh, in in my view, it's probably in Q3 and Q4 uh, rather than Q1 and Q2. Q1 and Q2 is the tail end effects of, uh, you will begin to see the effects of the holiday season in Q4 and to some extent, uh, the the spillover effects of uh, the positive effects of uh, Q1 and uh, and then the same flowing into Q2. Remember, the rate hikes have not come in as yet. The rate hikes have consequences in the cost of capital, which, if, which in turn bites into the profit margins, etc. So as of now, uh, what you're seeing is the, the markets, uh, market uh, movements driven by sentiments and the geopolitical conditions rather than the true uh, economic uh, and fiscal policy or the monetary policy implications. The rate hikes were discussed uh, by the Dr. Jerome Powell, the uh, Fed governor. He says there's clearly inflation that is going to come out as a result of uh, this uh, particular war resulting from the Russian occupation of uh, Ukraine. Uh, they are watching the situation they have not made a decision as to whether to delay or whether to reduce the number of uh, interest rate increases. This is where you are seeing uh, the rate, which was at 1.98%, or you know, some days it went past 2%, falling back to 1.74%. As far as the wheat prices and the oil prices are concerned, we had predicted and we had a small 10-minute special show, if you recall, going back that one of the consequences of this is the abnormal increase in the commodity prices and that is being commodity as well as the agricultural uh, produce you're beginning to see that uh, flow into the uh, flow into the system by the way even russia uh, ukraine is a vast exporter of wheat so you take the two countries there's a real problem in the wheat supply with that, our uh, segment for today comes to an end. We'll be back on Monday, bright and early. Do join us. Sridharji, Namaskar, and we'll see you again on Monday, sir. Namaskar. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you all on Monday.